Welcome everyone to the latest in our series of If You Can't Go Outside, Go Inside podcast with myself, Simon Kavikia and Alpa Erolu. We're intentionally meeting to have conversations, unstructured conversations on the subjects that interest us about leading and working in organizations. And today we wanted to focus on the question of leading from the heart. What does it mean to actually lead from the heart? And Dalpa, I thought an obvious way to start, given that you are a leader who I know for years has been interested in what it means to lead from the heart, I thought we could start with me just asking you to say a bit about what does what does leading with heart or from the heart actually mean for you? Hello, everyone. Great to meet again. This time I'm speaking from my hometown, Giresun. Um, so very, very lovely to, to be with you again. Um, great question, but very difficult one also. Um, I remember us having a lot of dialogues around this. The first time I started to think about this topic was actually uh, me getting confused between getting performance in business with the tools that I know, uh, but equally also doing it through, in a way, taking care of people. So I've been remembering asking you a lot of questions on how at the same time I can challenge people, ask the right questions, push them for the extra results, and to, to deliver superior performance, which is expected many of the times in business, in, in, in normal life uh, progress, but also equally taking care of, of the people I work with in a way that would enable them to be engaged from the heart and also be able to give them a lot of support. So, there was a lot of confusion around this, if, if both could be done, if what one happens at the expense of the others, if I maybe show more care and compassion, would then be sort of taken, would I be then taken advantage of? Equally, if I challenge too much, push for extra results, then would I, would I have people that, that I work with engage with me? So that's actually where it all started at the at the very beginning. Yeah. So with a kind of a dilemma in a way, how to how to balance performance with relating to your people as human beings. Exactly. Yeah. That was exactly the dilemma I faced. Yeah. And I still do actually. Um, mm. And I remember also our dialogues on one in one of the sessions we had together i remember you telling me about strategic interactions and intimate interactions yes with people you lead with uh, maybe it's best you speak about that maybe yes. take it from there also yes yes this is um based on the work of uh, uh sadly he's no longer with us uh, a gestalt therapist and organizational development consultant called uh Ed Nevis, who I was very fortunate to do some training with uh, quite a few years ago now. And um, he and others wrote a, a paper talking about 
in organizations, there is a need to balance what he called intimate interactions and strategic interactions. And what he meant by strategic interactions, these are all the interactions, conversations, presentations, formal performance conversations, informal chats, water cooler chats, where the focus is on doing what needs to be done. It's on getting the task done. And he called these strategic interactions. And then by intimate interactions, he, he meant all of those interactions where, although in the background, because this is happening in the context of leading in organizations, in the background, the need to get the task done is always there. It recedes a little bit. And what becomes more front of mind, or in Gestalt we say figural, is paying attention to the human relationship of your organization, the human relationships and the relationship with your people. So here interactions are more about showing interest in your employees, being genuinely concerned about their well-being, taking the time to find out about them and what makes them unique, their hopes, their concerns, their vulnerabilities, and investing conscious time in having these conversations. And the paper that he, he wrote concludes that in all organizations, what is optimal and optimizing is balancing attention to both the intimate and the strategic interactions. And historically, of course, organizations have tended to focus on strategic transactional interactions where we relate to one another a bit like um, mechanical robots there to do a job. And increasingly over the years with, with the um, focus on emotional intelligence that has come into organizational theory, there is more attention to the importance of emotions and relationship. And I think there's still a way to go. I don't know what, what you would say to that, Alpa, whether that's been your experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think once I realized, yes, okay, there is a strategic interactions, which is quite clear, it requires a lot of intellect, a lot of cognitive power. So that is easy to get around. The other one is intimate interaction. Then I started to realize or reflect for me to be able to be intimate. Uh, by the way, I had a Gestalt coach where uh, there was a nice phrase for intimacy. They said, intimacy is into me, you see. Intimacy equals <laughs> into me, you see. So I, then love, it's about... I love that Gestalt is full of these little catchy phrases. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the same. So then for you to be really yourself, then one needs to um, come to terms with how can I unblock or remove what gets on the way of me showing my real self at the workplace or in my life to build those intimate relationships. In a way, how do I let others see into me? Uh, I came across this, this, this book, uh, Michael's Teachings, where he was talking about seven chief features that guide um, us in life in a way which are all composed of several fears behind them. Uh, to give you an example, if somebody's chief feature is impatience, that person's fear is missing 
and and losing a lot of opportunities in life uh-huh. hence wanting to deliver fast or move fast which is actually one of my chief features which i know i came to make peace <laughs> with uh, or if somebody's chief feature is arrogance uh, and the fear behind is is vulnerability so when you become vulnerable you get afraid of people taking advantage of you yeah which is also a bit a pattern in me as well so then i came to realize in a phase in my life how do i make peace with those accept them and and share them openly publicly mm. uh, like i do now mm. and whenever get on, they get on the way i i realize uh, i try to let go and i have i i let people to see more of who i am at work and and when i do that actually show show real me and give space to that people quickly resonate to that mm. because you know everybody has a social wifi they these emotions or opening up your heart when you do it it's 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 felt you know you can't measure it but you can actually feel it yes when that human to human connection happens actually even the strategic interactions the tough conversations you can then do a lot a lot easier yes yes well and and what that reminds me of is that that in the nevis paper the the research that uh, he and his colleagues did showed that where there is balance between intimate and strategic interactions where you really need to be tough because there might be a crisis or you need to correct somebody's performance because it's uh, suboptimal or it, it, they they they're failing in some way uh, you can be quite quite tough and still preserve the respect and the intimacy in the relationship and um what they discovered was that if you do that if you balance intimate with strategic you can get away with being tough more easily the toughness is less likely to result in people feeling resentful feeling taken advantage of feeling hurt emotionally because they have enough of an experience of a genuine attitude of caring for them that you've revealed to them in the intimate interactions that you've had in the past exactly in the earlier seven chief features maybe i touched upon uh, some of them let me just give the name of the book in case people are interested the michael sure. teachings uh, book by chelsea queen yarbro which was a quite eye opening book for me in case people would like to know more about that what's the title the title is the michael teachings the michael teachings sorry i didn't get that yeah, yeah. okay um so in your earlier point then i have come across to another uh, let's say frame around this uh, by kim scott where where uh, it's discussed the topic called radical candor actually i haven't heard about that uh, until i realized actually it was the dilemma i was facing um so on the on the y axis he puts care uh, on the x axis he puts challenge you know on on the very right challenge directly on the very left keep silent uh, on the y axis there is uh, caring personally uh, at the at the very bottom of it you know uh, ignoring it um so you know he he says actually what we do if we stay silent do not challenge where needed uh, and if you don't care we're manipulative uh, actually we're insincere 
Um, if we don't challenge, uh, but if we care personally, we have a ruinist empathy. Um, if we care less, uh, but challenge, then it's obnoxious aggression, you know, which only thing you care about is results, but nothing else. But on the, on the very top right, there is an area called radical candor, where actually you can care personally yeah. uh, and challenge directly for yeah. the benefit of the business, benefit of the people's performance. When I saw that, I had a big eye-opening as well. Actually, that's the quadrant I would love to be most of the time. Uh, well, carry on. I was thinking, you know, that's an ongoing challenge for most of us is to balance that tension between care and challenge. Interestingly, you mentioned something about performance and, and optimizing performance through the right balance of care and challenge and radical candor. I think for me, that's an important point to underline, which is in, in all my consulting, I mean, I've been consulting for 30 years now. And when I started in this profession, there was still a tendency in organizations to split emotional intelligence, paying attention to relationships, to split it off from performance. So organizations were very good at teaching people technical skills, teaching them theories about leading, but actually it was much more dominated by, by transactional approaches to, to leading and to engaging followers in the organization. And um, you've probably heard this, what used to be referred to as the human system dynamics were called the soft issues, whereas the business performance issues were called the hard issues. And that split persisted for a long time. And people would be very quick to dismiss the soft issues because they didn't see that there was a relationship between the soft or what used to be called the soft issues and the hard material dimension of performance and effectiveness. And we're really, I think organizations are really awake now to the relationship between the two. And I've often said to people, clients, and when I teach, that what used to be called this, you know, what used to be called soft is actually the new hard. Organizations are waking up to the fact that in order to thrive and grow and innovate and evolve, given the complexity and dynamism of the global economy, the geopolitical scene, they need to be paying much, much more attention to the human element of interactions. And I think there's been a huge amount of progress in that over the years. But the reason why I often call the soft issues hard is not just to say they're the new focus that we need to be paying attention to, but because they're hard for leaders, particularly those who've been brought up through a very technical training, managers and leaders, they're very personally challenging and you're talking to that reality when you talk about the inner work that leaders have to do in order to find a way to balance intimacy with strategic considerations we have to be prepared to look at ourselves we have to be prepared to look at the obstacles to being more human so there's a 
huge amount of self-awareness and willingness to commit to ongoing reflection and learning in order to find that balance. And that's it's not everybody's cup of tea, as we as we might say. I know it's yours, and that's why we can have this conversation. So I'm, I'm going to stop. I've said a lot, but those were the th thoughts that were coming to mind hearing what you've just said. A lot of things popped up to my mind as well as I was listening to you. In the, the other day, I was reading something where, where they mentioned these things that are called soft skills actually should be called human skills. Right. Why do we call them soft even in a way use this sort of a language that makes it a bit like, you know, I find it a bit paternalistic language, if I may yeah, say. Yeah. I don't know if it's the right English. Uh, soft in a way like they don't change the outcome. Right. Soft in a way, you know, uh, they're not maybe as hard to deliver performance targets. Some, you know, let's call them human skills. Um, I love that, you know, because the moment you have an access to those, actually, as you go more senior in an organization, you will be the one or I, I realize even with myself, I'm the one who does less of the things, but I'm 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 delivering more through people. Right. In order to do that, I I I have to wake up at some moment. What ticks people? You know what 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 kind of help do they need? You know what's going on in 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 their minds, so I can really help them. You said earlier, like what's unique about them, so I can maximize their impact on the business. Yeah. Um, and also with that, you know, there was a lot, another, another uh, sort of article I was reading on, on Dalai Lama, on leadership, uh, which, you know, the moment we talk about leading from heart, uh, all those things, obviously many of the spiritual teachings come very close, right? Um, in Buddhist tradition, they describe three styles of compassionate leadership. Uh, compassion, I think, is, is also has a lot of space in this, which maybe we can speak in more details in another uh, episode. Mm. Uh, they, they have like the trailblazer leader, leader style who leads from the front, takes risks and sets as an example. They have the ferryman style leadership who accompanies those in his care and shapes the ups and downs of the crossing. They have the shepherd style leader who sees every one of his flock into safety before himself. So all those three styles, you know, this is an HBR article. Uh, everybody could, could check and read more. Um, they have something in common, right? So they put others' welfare, well-being, as you said in the beginning, yes. before themselves. Uh, they take care of the business. So they take care of, sorry, they take care of the, of the people so people can take care of the business. Right. So those are the thoughts that fired in my, in my brain uh, or maybe heart when you, when you mentioned it. Yeah. And just letting those those different perspectives land and see what, if anything, I want to say to that or what thoughts come to mind. This is what I love about not having scripted anything. It 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 just allows thoughts to emerge and evolve. I really liked your reframe. That's the thing I'm most in touch with. I really liked your reframe around human skills as opposed to what we might call technical skills. I, I really like that. And it's a lovely way of asserting the importance of what used to be called soft, taking it out of that rather dismissive tone 
and seeing it as absolutely linked to optimizing and maximizing performance. And my mind wandered a little bit into the territory, which I think is very connected to this of, of psychological safety, um, sort of the work of people like Amy Edmondson and others, where if you're investing in the intimate interactions with your people, you're developing a climate of respect and care, you're much more likely to create conditions for greater trust, greater transparency, and create a culture where people feel free and able to raise concerns when they see them, to say they don't know if they don't understand something, to challenge where the status quo might be in some way getting in the way of optimizing performance. Now, organizations develop all sorts of processes and mechanisms and bureaucratic processes that at one level are necessary to bring some order. But again, sometimes and often, I think, those bureaucratic processes can become the main event. And people spend huge amount of time attending meetings that they don't feel are going anywhere, filling out data sheets and management information processes that have just become part of the fabric of the organization. Nobody stops to say, what is this actually in service of? And is it really value adding anymore? It might have been when we instituted that process, but is it is it still fit for purpose? So if you're leading with heart and creating these conditions for openness, trust and transparency, it does translate directly into business benefits. People don't go off and do something that they don't really understand and make make mistakes that way. But when they do make mistakes, if there's trust and transparency and uh, care, then you also feed into creating more of a learning culture where people can learn from their mistakes rather than feel terrified and intimidated at the prospect of making mistakes because we're all human. Mistakes are really the only way we really learn deep and profound truths about ourselves and the world. Yeah. There is a lot of link between those two, definitely. Hmm. Uh, providing a space for, for making more errors, that also requires a space where you can be vulnerable. Then yeah. it also requires opening, opening your heart and letting people to do the same. Yeah. And definitely. So Alpa, I'm just keeping an eye on time because we want these to be bite-sized podcasts that give people uh, food for thought and we don't want to overwhelm people. And, and, and uh, the intention is to just see, see how our conversations, uh, if at all, spark other people's thoughts and responses. My sense is we probably need to bring this conversation to a close I feel like there's so much more we could say and maybe we'll we will we revisit this um at a later time um is there anything you want to say before we we end the last maybe thought I want to leave the audience with um the word courage right the world needs more of courage and the word courage in latin comes from <laughs> the word cuore which yeah. is actually the heart so the world definitely needs more of courage, more of speaking and acting from the heart. Yes. And it's like, it's like magic, right? When you, you can't measure it, 
but when you see it, you feel it. Uh, most of the marketing work is like that as well. I'm by training a marketeer, so I can relate to that as well. Uh, leading from the heart, actually, quarter, that is also difficult to measure. But when, when you are exposed to it in the environment you work in, you definitely feel and tune into it. So yeah. I will just call everybody um, to, to get in touch more, more with it. So that's my final remarks. That's lovely. Lovely invitation to everyone to, if this conversation has sparked some thoughts, ideas, new perspectives, that's wonderful. And, and I endorse that and support that invitation to see what happens if you pay a bit more attention to your hearts going forward in your leadership. So goodbye until next time. And we wish you well in your ongoing practice as leaders. Bye for now. Bye.